Um, we're going to dive into our um, series today. We're talking about the King has come. And over the past several months, we've been looking through the arc and narrative of Scripture about how there was this King, there was this long-awaited King of the Kingdom that the Kingdom, the King would step into the Kingdom and create this space that was that was good and wonderful and there were all these failed kings and and uh, and everything so we're looking at where this sort of leads us from the old testament into the new testament but i wanted uh in preparation for all of this i had this memory uh and i think i might have shared this memory before but i'll share it again it was my memory of my first christmas back home from college now i don't know how many of you uh, had this type of experience, whether you went to college or you just left home, and then you came back home after being away for a while? And I don't know what that was like for you, but for me, I was so excited to get back home. Like, I was so excited. I had been away for my first semester. It had been really, really hard. I went from, like, East Coast to the Midwest, which meant two major changes. Well, three major changes for me. One was in the Midwest, part where I was at. The sky is gray, like, all the time in the winter. Like, just gray, and then another gray, and then slightly blue, but then gray. Like, just always gray. It was freezing cold. I could never get warm. And then on top of that... There's just this like version of the Midwest that is very laid back. And I am not always that way. I'm a little more tightly wound, a little more type A, a little more like get after it and let's make things happen. And so I just felt misunderstood in the Midwest. Um, and so that was also really hard. It was exhausting. Every It was new places and new spaces and everywhere I went, felt like I had to explain myself and I felt like, I was always having to like introduce myself to new people and it just, I just longed for a place where people just knew me, where I could just relax and not explain everything, where people knew what I liked, where I felt like I fit in, where people understood me and I could just find rest. And so I was so excited about going home. Now, I don't know if any of you have had that, that longing for home and, and I kept thinking and I even remember telling my roommate about how great Christmas was going to be and I told her about all of my childhood Christmas memories and how we did all these different things that we would go to the Christmas Eve service and then we'd go out to dinner afterwards and my family would sit um, at a table out at this restaurant. We'd just laugh and it was so fun and all these great memories and then we'd go home and put jammies on and we'd watch a Christmas movie all together. It was normally it's a Wonderful Life, and my mom would cry like crazy because she always did. And then um, we would go to bed, and my dad would take tin foil after we had gone to bed, and he would put tin foil up in the doorway of the room that the tree was in. And the reason for this was because you know what happens when you touch tin foil? It makes a lot of noise. And so this was his way of like booby trapping the room so no one could sneak in. So like if you tried to hit the tin foil, like people would know. So he would go and well beyond when he should even be worried about this. He would go through the motions and, and it used to be like he would tin foil the whole door. And then when we got older, it was like an X. And then it was just like a line that you could like easily duck under. But it was like sentimental, right? So he'd tin foil the room. Um, and then we'd wake up together and we'd read Luke 2 before we opened presents. And then we'd open presents. We had breakfast with all the presents. And it was just like, oh, this is just such a great, like, this is home. This is how you do Christmas. Doesn't everyone know this is what Christmas is? And I was away for four months. And during those four months, the nostalgia 
of home. And this Christmas morning had just grown and grown and grown. Except things didn't go as planned and nobody followed the timeline that I had set in my mind that was appropriate for Christmas morning. Uh, so they invited other people to dinner that I didn't want there. And then we had to socialize with them. No one stayed, and, stayed up and watched the movie together. Everyone was just tired. My dad didn't even bother to put a strip of tinfoil. And in the morning, we had to wait because my sister didn't live at the house anymore. And she took forever to get to the house so that we could open our presents. It was awful. My dad did read Luke 2, but I didn't get any presents I wanted. It was like they didn't even know me anymore. And on top of that, no one understood me. And no matter how much I tried to explain that this was not the Christmas that I had asked for and that it no longer fit, my mom's response was, stop being a brat. Now she was right. I was being a brat. But for me, I just felt like, no, but you don't understand. I, I want home. I'm longing for this home, and I'm not getting it. I was so ticked off. In that moment, I had this idea of home, and I just realized that home wasn't home anymore. I had this realization that everything I had that once felt good and fit and was perfect was gone. <laughs> And I was like, how do I get back to it? How do I get back to that place? Now, for a lot of us, even if this story you don't necessarily specifically relate to, there's this reality that all of us are, have this longing for home, that we're kind of like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, where we're like, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, but then we get home and we're like, wait, this isn't home either. Like, where's home? We spend a lot of our lives trying to find places where we fit, spaces that feel like home, trying to create traditions to make our houses decorated so they feel like home, but home eludes us. If you're in middle school or high school, this is particularly poignant to you because I know you spend a lot of your time feeling like, I don't belong, and I'm going to name that for you. You're looking for home. You're looking for home and you can't seem to find a space where you feel safe. And sometimes we return to the spaces where we once feel safe or the spaces or experiences that once brought us joy, but they just feel like they're not quite as easy to access as they were before. They don't fit quite as well. And in some ways, the stories of our lives is really about the search for home, trying to find joy, fi trying to find a place that fits, trying to find a place where we feel comfortable and safe, but it eludes us. C.S. Lewis actually has this quote that I used to have painted in one of my rooms. He was a 20th century um, theologian, and, and he had this quote. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He's sort of naming this thing that like, we're looking everywhere to try to find the thing that feels like it will fit. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to find it because you were made for a different world. We're all on this search for satisfaction and joy and to fit in. No matter where we go, we can't find us. And the reality is, is it's because the world doesn't fit us. 
we are actually out of place in this world. We're alienated from this world. And in some ways, like, we feel kind of homeless in this world. And as terrible as that feels, it sort of aligns with this overarching narrative of Scripture. As humans, we were actually created with a very specific home, right? You go back to Genesis, and God created this garden for us. It was this perfect paradise. And in this garden, we felt anchored and connected, like, so much so that, like, we would walk around naked and feel no shame. Like, we were like, this is me, and this is, I'm here, and it is great. No anxiety. Can you imagine that? No shame, no anxiety? Gosh, that was home. But the reason it was home was because it was where God was. In Scripture, we're told that in this paradise, we walked with God. Like we just took strolls with God every evening. It was so much home. And in Psalm 90, uh, verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. The reason why Eden felt like home was because we dwelled there with God. It wasn't anything special about like, you know, the particular type of animals or the particular types of trees. It was because we dwelled there with God. Our original design was to find our home with God, to be with him. And when we try to find our home in anything else or anyone else, we find, oh, this doesn't really fit. It's like we're trying to find our belonging and our purpose and our meaning and our worth in anything other than God. If we name anything else more important than God, our work, our relationships, our appearance, our uh, accumulation of stuff, then we're trying to find our home in something that just can't be our home. It can't bear the weight and sustain being our home. Structurally, it can't support that demand. And we find ourselves homeless. And homelessness is brutalizing, right? To literally be homeless is destructive. It's destructive to people. It wears on them like emotionally and physically and mentally. I remember when we first moved to the D.C. area and my parents would take us into D.C. to go see the museums and stuff. And I remember as a little kid being so disturbed by seeing people who were homeless living in tents or on benches or in parks it would break my heart and I just like, I didn't even know, I didn't have a category to put it in. I didn't know what to do because you could see these people and you could see how beat down they were. And I remember learning that there was sort of this effort to eradicate homelessness and it wasn't necessarily focused on like putting people in houses and helping them get better. It was focused on moving everybody out right? Getting rid, like, making sure we don't see it, that it's not in this park. And I remember being like, but wait a second, they need some place to live. Like, they have to, they have, like, why can't they stay in the park? Like, why can't they do that? And I remember somebody explaining it to me, and then I remember them saying, oh, parks are great places. Like, like, they're wonderful places, but they're not meant to live, be lived in. Parks can't bear the weight of your entire life. They can't be places where you eat and sleep and wash and defecate. They can't bear the weight of all of that. They'll destroy the park. They can't be home. So when homeless people live in parks, they ruin the park, but also the park ruins them. 
because it can't give them what it is that they also need. And so often when we look at different relationships and we look at different like achievements or work and we try to make those relationships or those achievements or those wealth, we try to make those things our home. It's kind of like trying to take a box in the middle of D.C., in the middle of the winter and saying, this is where I'm going to live. I'm going to make this thing my home. Those things might be fine, but they're not home and they were never built to be your home. We weren't built to dwell in those things either. We were built for Eden. We were built to live with God and to dwell with God. We were built for paradise. And when we betray someone or we use somebody in a way that isn't the way that we're supposed to use them, we lose them and we get expelled from our home. And that's what happened in Eden. We abused God. We betrayed God. And so we had to leave our home. And so this world is no longer what God had made it. It's filled with brokenness. It's filled with disease. And we aren't built for disease. We aren't built for destruction. We're not built for pain. We're not built for suffering or aging. And so we find ourselves in the middle of this world now in exile. Exiled from our true home. But there were these prophets in the Old Testament. There were these prophets who were ever and present, ever presently aware of the realities of their own exile. And they begin to point to a time where we all collectively would be home once again. That we would find ourselves again home with God. And so I want to read a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. It's found in chapter 35. If you want to open it up, it's chapter 35, verse 1. And we're going to be reading from there today. The prophet Isaiah, he's talking about this future home that we would have. This is how he describes it. He says, the desert and the parched lands will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst forth into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The joy of the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Now, has anybody ever lived in a desert during monsoon season? Good, I can testify. Okay, so we used to live in Phoenix, and that's a desert, like a bad desert, like a desert, desert, real deserty desert. I remember one time my dad visited us there, and he was like, how can you live here? It's so brown. And I was like, it has its own beauty. Like, there's something special about it. You, you, you begin to appreciate what it is. But I remember coming back here for uh, Christmas and trips and things like that and being like, it's so green. It's beautiful. But let me tell you what happens in the desert, the dry, parched desert during monsoon season. There's this very brief window of time, oftentimes like in April, sometime April to June, where all of a sudden the skies open up, like the stars and planets align and like all these different things happen. And it just down, deluge of rain. Now it's not a deluge like you know here because here it will just rain for days and days and days and days. That's not what it is. It's like for three hours, The skies open up, torrential downpour, and every kid runs outside and is like, oh my gosh, what is happening? The sky is falling. 
thing. It's like the best thing ever because it never happens. It never happens. And so for three hours, it just downpours, pelts you on the head, like so much rain. And then two days later, two days later, there is this soft green fuzz that covers the whole land. Like it's incredible. Like you, you would never be so excited to see some soft green fuzz all over the brown. And you're just like, look how glorious it is, right? That's sort of the beginning part of what Isaiah is talking about here. He's saying, listen, the deserts and the parched lands, all of a sudden they'll rejoice and blossom, right? Now, two days after that, it's 100 degrees and everything dies. Like, that's Phoenix. But what Isaiah is talking about is that it then will grow up into the glory of Lebanon to Carmel and Sharon, and those were known to be these beautiful places, these beautiful places. And they're saying it's going to start all brown and all dead. But then the soft green fuzz is going to appear everywhere, and it's going to grow into the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God will be seen. right? And Isaiah continues in verse 3. He says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened? Will the ears of the deaf, deaf unstop? Then will the lame leap like a deer? And will the mute tongue shout for joy? Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. Okay, here's what I want you to do. We're going to read through that one more time. And what I want you to do as we read through it one more time is I want you to grab onto one of those images. It can be anyone you want, but just whichever one sort of grabs you, and then you're going to share it with the person next to you. Okay, so I'm giving you forewarning. You're going to talk to somebody around you for just a second, all right? So, so do this exercise so you have something to say. All right, here we go. We're going to read it again in verse 3. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened? And will the ears of the deaf be unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer? And will the mute tongue shout for joy? Water will gush forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. All right, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to turn to somebody next to you, uh, preferably somebody who you didn't come with, and you're going to tell them about which of, those which of those like phrases, images stood out to you. Ready? Go. Make sure everyone has someone to talk to. We're a friendly, welcoming people. Oh, put it back up. Keith, can you put it back up? I think he can't get all of it up at once, but he can kind of get some of it up.
All right. Let's go ahead and share whole group. What stood out to you? You can just shout it out. Vengeance. vengeance. The vengeance of the Lord. It seems like an odd place, right? For all of a sudden, it to say your God will come and he's going to bring vengeance, right? You know what that's talking about? That's talking about that God sees our pain and our suffering. He didn't like it either. Right? That, that's God being like, I'm done with this. These are my kids. You know that whole mama bear thing? Ah, right? Don't mess with my cubs. Right? God feels the same way about us as we walk through pain and suffering. What else stood out to you? The lame leaps like a deer. Has anybody been, ever been hit by a deer, like they're hit by a deer in their car? Hit a car with their deer? Nope. Hit a deer with their car, right? <laughs> Very recently, in fact. Um, yeah, yeah. The lame will leap like a deer. Those things can leap so high. Can you imagine somebody going from not even being able to walk to popping up and then leaping like a deer? <laughs> yeah, what else? What else stood out to you? Yeah. Yes, the water will gush forth, right? Um, so my hot water heater broke on Friday night. The water will gush forth. There's no place like home, right? Yeah, the water will gush forth in the dry lands. What else? The strength will come to the feeble hands. Sometimes I find that when, when I do this exercise, the thing that leaps out to us, leaps out to us like a deer, is, is the thing that we ourselves long for most. The thing that we're like, oh, to have knees that would no longer give way, right? They're the things that, that pop up out to us to not have a fearful heart, to be strong and not fear, to be able to shout for joy, gosh. As Isaiah is talking about this kingdom that is to come, this home that will be ours, he's talking about healing. He's talking about no more sickness and no more disease. He's talking about a change of nature, no more pain, no more suffering. He's describing the home that each and every one of us was built for. That's the place that we were built to live. And what's amazing to me is that's the type of place that we started in, but it's also the type of place that's described in the end of Scripture. It's the place we find ourselves when God describes our new home in a city, where once again we are connected and anchored and welcomed by God where there's no more darkness, where we dwell in the presence of God and every tribe, tongue, and nation is represented. In Revelation 22, verse 1 through 2, there's actually um, a, a picture of what this new home will look like. And this is what's described. It says this, Then the angel showed me, it's a, a vision that John has been given about what is to come, the home that is to come. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. 
On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations right? Isn't it amazing that at the beginning of scripture, there's a tree of life that is at the center of the garden, and the fruit gives life to all who eat it, and it symbolizes the sustaining life that God gives us, and in the last chapter of scripture, there is a tree that's in the middle of this city that like the rivers flow to and from, and it is a tree whose leaves bring healing, right? This is the place that we are to dwell. This is the place that we're moving to. And yet in, like, that's where it begins and that's where it ends, and yet we stand here right here in the middle and we're like, and here's my arthritic ham. And we stand here right in the middle and we're like, and here's my ears that are no longer healing as well as they are. They once did. And here's Herb Barnes, who's sick and aging and weak and frail, and we look at these things and we say, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. How do we get back home? How do we get back home to how it was supposed to be? And the answer is Christmas. When Jesus comes, he starts this process of healing, and he finishes it when he's gonna come back. But when Jesus comes, he starts this whole process of healing by becoming homeless himself, by entering into exile. In Luke, Luke chapter 2, um, we read this very famous part of the Christmas story where we hear the story of Mary and Joseph taking a journey, and I want to read it for us now in verse 4. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And when they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. That's Jesus, the king of heaven, wrapped in a womb. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, when we retell this story in our modern circles, about a baby being born in a stable, we like sweeten it up a little bit over the years. We have cleaned out the smells and the dirt. We've made it cute by letting our kids act out and be the sheep and the shepherds, right? But it was dark and it was cold and it was terrible. And there was urine and there was manure. And the truth is that infants are not supposed to be in places like that. They're susceptible to all sorts of terrible and life-threatening diseases if they hang out with cow poop. It's just not a good idea. And we sing, the little Lord Jesus was asleep on the hay as if it was this beautiful thing. But right, right before there was hay in the trough, there might have been a pile of dung. Not to mention the blood and the sweat and the tears that had poured out all over that hay. A king doesn't belong there. A king shouldn't be homeless. And yet this young, unwed, teen mom who had been rejected and socially stigmatized, who was exiled probably from her own community, maybe even her own family. This isn't a sweet story. This is a story that's supposed to break our hearts. It's supposed to make us weep 
and it's supposed to represent the radical and inhospitable nature of the world towards the King Messiah. And the one that was king who had a dwelling place in paradise made himself homeless and helpless, made himself a baby rejected in a stinky, dirty stable. And that was just step one. The rest of his life would be filled with rejection, and he would be homeless. Matthew and Luke both say that Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And that at the end of his life, he dies alone. He hangs on this cross and he shouts. Like, he doesn't shout, my God, my God, I'm in so much pain. No, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you cast me out? Why have you rejected me? Why am I without a place to belong, to call home? But he does it out of love for you and for me. Jesus becomes homeless so that we could have a home. Jesus, the Son of God, leaves the ultimate home of heaven with the Godhead so that, he, so that we could be with God. And Jesus enters into rejected aloneness so that we could experience the joy and love of God that we will never lose. Now, the first time Jesus came, he began healing, but when he comes again, he is going to make this whole world our home again. Now, um, like I mentioned before, uh, Herb Barnes, who many of you know, he's a, been a longtime member of this congregation. He, he, he is the reason, one of the reasons why this congregation still exists. Um, and, and he's going through this process of failing health and, and will likely pass sometime soon. And um, I went on Thursday to visit Joanne and, and pray for Herb and, and I just got this overwhelming sense like that I was supposed to anoint him. And on the car ride over, I had brought the anointing oil. And on the car ride over, I kept thinking like, why am I anointing him? Because oftentimes what we do when we anoint people is we're praying for healing. And, and here's what I know. Herb likely won't be healed. Like his, God can do anything. God could give him 20 more years. I, I don't know. But I also know that our bodies shut down after a while, that that's a natural process and a natural part of us living in this broken world until Christ returns. And so I, I didn't feel like the prayer was for healing. So what, what was the anointing for? Why was I anointing him? And on the car ride over, I felt like God was sort of speaking to me and saying, no, 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 you're anointing him because the other reason we anoint people is when they're about to step into a new kingdom when they're about to step into the presence of the king, when they're about to ascend to the throne room. And so I was like, oh, oh, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> okay. And so I did. And I stood by Herb's bedside, and I put the oil on his forehead, and I prayed for him. And I told him, Herb, you are about to walk into the presence of, of, our, of the God of the universe right now you're about to step into the heavenly throne room. You're about to, to face to face see the king of glory who died so that he could inherit you. And so we're going to prepare you for this moment and we're going to pour this oil upon you because you are priesthood and you are royal. 
And the king is about to turn to you and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, sit beside me. Welcome home. And guys, this is why we're here. (laughs) Because we believe that this is what Christmas is about. We believe that it's because of that baby, that homeless baby, that we all have a home to go to. And we trust that this not only happens on the other side of death, but God is working that out right now for us to experience home. I have a lot of problems with Christmas because it doesn't feel like joy all the time. And it doesn't feel like home. I really work hard to try to figure out, this isn't written in my notes, I really work hard as a mom to try to figure out how to make Christmas good for my kids, how to make them feel joy, how to make myself feel joy, how to make it warm and cozy and special. And I really struggle with it because I'm going through the motions of creating Christmas cookies and putting together gingerbread houses and decorating the tree, but inside I just feel empty a lot of times. I just feel kind of filled with disappointment that this, is this really all we've got? Doesn't feel real good. And as I read this passage in Isaiah, I'm reminded that this isn't where I live. (laughs) This isn't my home. So I can make cookies and I can put together the gingerbread houses and I can decorate the trees and those can stand as a symbol for something else that I'm longing for, but God, what I really am longing for is to dwell in your presence. For you to draw close to me in this moment right now when I feel empty and I feel alone. And in those moments, I need to be reminded that God is Emmanuel and he is here with me. And that everything else that I try to put my hope in and everything else that I try to make home, my gingerbread houses and my fancy tree, Those will never be home. That only God can bring me home. And so Isaiah finishes in verse 10, and he says this, And those the Lord has rescued will return home. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and singing will flee away. That's home. That's where that baby brings us. If there is anything that you are trying to make your home that is not God, it will fail you. You will continue to feel homeless. But if Jesus only saves us by becoming homeless, 
then the only way that we're able to come home is if we admit that we need a home. Part of the issue with um, dealing with a homeless population is a lot of times people who are in those situations don't see that they have a problem. They feel like they're fine. This box is fine. This corner is fine. This bench is fine. I don't need help. I don't need to change. And so it's hard to help them find a home. And for us to be brought home by Jesus, the first thing we have to admit is that we're homeless. We have to admit that we need a home. And we have to let go of all of the other spaces and places that we have tried to make our home in order to allow God to welcome us in. But when we do, there is everlasting joy that will crown our heads. There is gladness and joy that will overtake us. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray. Father God, I'm really sorry that you had to become homeless to give us a home. I know the pain of um, feeling lost and alone and like you don't fit in and I can't imagine the king of the world experiencing that in such a deep way as you did. And yet I am incredibly grateful that you stepped into that role out of love for us. I'm a bit undone by it. And you did it so that I don't have to remain homeless forever. Not only on the other side of death are you creating a home for me, but you're working that out right now. And so, Father God, in these places where we all feel lost and we feel alone and we feel like we don't fit, or we feel like there's just something missing that we can't quite figure out. We ask that you would bring us home, that we would begin to come to life again in your presence, that we would begin to sing and rejoice because of what you are doing and how you're working through us and in us and in the world around us. That we might know your healing and your joy and that we might cling to hope all because of this baby that we celebrate during this season. Would you speak to us and reveal to us the places and the spaces that we have tried to make our home but can't bear the weight of it? 
would we release those things to you and turn to you instead as our dwelling place, our Emmanuel. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name.